I woke up this morning and realized that I was 18 years old. Like the sun came up and I realized that I have existed on this earth for about 6,570 days. See, being a woman in this country, my life expectancy has been significantly shortened and I realized that by the time I'm 19, I'll probably be dead or on the way to dying so I thought it would be important for me to prepare for my funeral to audition for the role of Corpse C my funeral won't be like those other funerals no this one will put even Princess Diana's to shame it'll be the greatest funeral there ever was so great that they'll broadcast it across countries I mean the story of my death will be so twitter worthy that you'll create hashtags that trend for three days my face will be plastered across your statuses you will call me angel and tell me to rest in peace I bet even the president himself will be there grace us with his presence he will hold my mother's hand while she recites my eulogy while her eyes fill with tears while she chokes and afterwards he will get up on that podium and give the best speech he has ever given so perfectly written with every word turning my life into a story to be remembered he will tell you to remember my name beg you to not forget me and you will add me to the list of other names that we have had to remember since basically forever and my body my body will lie in its casket every inch of me covered in bruises stab wounds made so expertly that you could call it art i will become the latest backdrop for the gents let's do better campaign they will promise to do better change their dps to purple sing protect our women till the cows come home and i will smile from my grave my dead lips forming a thank you because that's what you want right gents a thank you a thank you for trying thank you for sharing Thank you, thank you, thank you. My ghost will clap for you. I thank you for giving a shit about my life now that I'm dead or whatever. The way you gave a shit about Riva or Naledi or Evelyn or Tehofato or the hundreds of other women, right? You give a shit and we die, right? I will form a thank you while I wait for the next body to fall to come lie next to me to come keep me company because I know it won't end with me. See, when my soul leaves this earth, the first person I will see is Nene. And she will smile at me. That soft kind of smile and kwasa. Kwasa, she will take my hand and squeeze it just a little bit. Just enough to remind me that I can still feel I will be the latest addition to heaven's special welcome committee. Practice my smile, practice my hug, ready to welcome the next girl, ready to tell her it wasn't her fault. That I was also just walking home, that I wore pants too, that I didn't make eye contact. I promise that I did everything they have ever told us to do since I was like six. But still, he raped me. Still, he beat me. Still, he killed me. So I will tell her it wasn't her. Even if it feels like it, no, my funeral will be the greatest to ever be done. One for the history books, I swear, there are 294 days left before I turn 19. 294 more days of waking up with the sun, of breathing in air before a man claims his right to my body or his right to my life. 
294 days of being terrified to leave the house, of hugging my mother tight so when I'm gone, she remembers the feel of my arms around her, of pausing at the door to wave goodbye to my dad. Huff, a see you later, and half a goodbye forever just in case. Just in case this is the last goodbye that I have, the last hug, the last kiss, the last time I get on the bus, the last time they see me as I am now, alive. I don't know if I'll make it to this time next year, or even if I'll make it to the end of this day. See, like every other woman in this country, I'm living on borrowed time, waiting. Waiting for my turn for my big debut as victim number thousand and something so here it is the audition tape to my funeral how was that was that good enough did i get the part sir did i break the little mother in you did i look victim enough see i was going for this um murdered schoolgirl type of vibe a closed casket type of silence cold like an autopsy of a dead body cause of death being woman and alive so hi guys welcome to your favorite late night sessions with your one and only bean Today we're spilling the beans with Tariro Nyawayaro, an artist slash slam poet. Wait, is it slam poet or slam poetress? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure. sure, actually, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to give us a male title over here because... Let's go with slam poetress then. <laughs> okay, slam poetress slash social activist. Welcome to Late Night Sessions. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So, social activist, what's your definition of that? Um, I would say a social activist is just someone who uses their platforms, um, mm -hmm. so mainly social media platforms, to bring awareness to critical social issues, um, whether that be uh, gender-based violence or racism, you know, everyday things that people are going through. It's really just using your platform and the space in which you have a following to mm. to send out um a positive message and a call to action okay so do you want to tell us a bit about yourself like a bite size into your you know about you into your bio okay yeah so um i'm Tavira, like you've said um i was born in zimbabwe but i live in south africa um i've mm -hmm. just completed my a levels actually um so yeah fresh out of high school <laughs> and <laughs> I'm really just um a girl in a big world trying to find her voice I guess <laughs> it's it's kind of the definition of who I am and what I'm doing really yeah so you finished you managed to finish your finals in this uncertain kind of atmosphere with corona oh, and everything word. it was so crazy it was actually just it was a miracle. I think the last day I wrote um, my last paper, I honestly cried when I put my pen down. I was like, oh my <laughs> gosh, I can't believe that it's actually over, that we actually did it. I really do commend everybody who managed to get what they needed to do done because COVID and everything has just been a mess. It really has. Mm. 
It really has. You are a slam poetess. So that's one really unexplored or rather quiet corner of the entertainment industry. How mm. have you always been a writer? What attracted you to poetry? Or what attracted you to slam poetry? Yes, I think I've always been um, a person who's very into the creative arts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to do a lot of speech and drama, public speaking, you know, throughout my whole my whole schooling career, really. Um, so I think poetry was just, it, I always tell people, like, I didn't find poetry, poetry found me. Um, <laughs> because I think it really found me at a time in my life where there were lots of different personal things that were happening. Mm. Um, that I didn't really know how to express or how to get out there, you know. And I think people will be very shocked to know, I think, that I'm a very reserved person, actually, in real life. Mm. Um, Yes, I'm an extrovert. I am an extrovert, yes. I like to talk. I talk to people, you know. But when it comes to talking about my feelings and what I'm going through, that's always been something that I really struggle with, you know. Yeah. Um, so one day I was just like scrolling through YouTube and I found um, this page on YouTube called Button Poetry mm-hmm. and I watched like one video of this girl um, Mia um, and she did a poem called Perfect and I just remember sitting there in my room like crying like oh my gosh how can someone <laughs> just understand me you know like I just felt like I don't know who this girl is I mean she probably lives in the middle of America somewhere I don't know but her words just touched me so deeply, you know. And that's mm. when I started, like, exploring how to put my own stories um, onto paper. But not more than that, how to perform them in a way where someone else would be watching me and go, oh, my gosh, how yeah. did you understand me? You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so that's kind of how that whole journey began. And I started doing little videos. Uh, I was in boarding school. And I do little videos after dinner and stuff <laughs> and post them onto my YouTube and stuff. And it, it was never really like I was trying to make a career out of it or anything. But um, it was just like, you know, ex- exploring these things. And then over time, it grew into something that I could use um, in conjunction with my activism. Yeah. Um, to actually use my poems, not only to express my personal feelings, but also to highlight issues that are happening in the world and I feel like that's something that's never really been explored before yeah and yeah it's not, it's not really um, um an avenue that poetry has taken before but True. I think any any form of of words I mean be it music poetry it all stems from a place of wanting to express and mm. I just don't want my poetry just to be about expressing I wanted to be about expressing, but also calling for people to stand up and do something, you know. Yeah. So I think I think that's that's just yeah that's my journey with poetry and that's that's where we are now. I mean, you managed to pull it off. I mean, what you were describing, what you went through with Mia's work, that's what I went through when I first saw your piece on um, auditioning for my funeral. Oh, thank you so much. That means so much. And I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> Okay, and I yeah. listened to it. It was so emotional and so raw. And I know it went viral. It touched many lives, I'm pretty sure. Mm. And it did open eyes to the femicide and gender-based violence happening in South Africa and around the world. Mm. And 
I guess it goes without saying that in order to work on such a topic, you have to be a person who's comfortable with making yourself vulnerable and, you know, being really raw and open. Yeah. Have you ever felt too exposed or like hesitated about covering any particular topics? Yes, I think um, I'm a very passionate person Mm. and I like to get to the point and I like to be direct in my work. I mean, if you watch any of my poems, I think, yes, there's nuances and subtlety in my writing, but Mm. there's no hiding from what I'm speaking about. You know, like you feel it, you, you hurt with it, you know. Um, and there's I, no riddles. We're not beating yeah, around. I'm bushes. not beating around the bush. I mean, yeah. You from start to finish of a poem that I've posted, um, you feel exactly what it is that I'm talking about, and I think that's always been a bit of a difficult thing for me to to know how to, how to sort of pull myself back a bit when I write about certain topics, mm. or like you know trying to find that balance of have I said too much? Am I exposing myself to too much criticism? Am I putting myself in a position where I can be attacked? Because honestly, the internet is a scary place. <laughs> it, it is. is. A it scary, is. scary place. You can be saying the right thing, you the know, truth, but you're still going to get but you're still different get kind of exactly. and like You'll be dragged. Exactly. And like um, with this journey of like starting to put myself I mean, obviously, I used to post on YouTube and stuff, but like coming into onto a platform like Instagram, where there's millions and millions and millions of people who could, you know, see my mm. stuff and like, um, now be exposed to the sort of things that I'm talking about. It's been a sort of question of okay, I don't want to limit my creativity, but at the same time, there are some things that I have to think about, like, how am I going to speak about this in a way that doesn't end up you know yeah need to trade carefully yeah I mean with auditioning to my funeral I got lots of dms of boys like telling me how I didn't know what I was talking about and what a what a South African men are yeah. not like this and they'll come and fix me and what what you know like these like pure attacks you know what I mean and hmm. it was scary yes but at the same time I was like if that's the reaction that I'm getting I'm saying something that needs to be said you know what I mean? Yeah, you're touching a nerve. I'm touching. If 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 you can watch auditioning to my funeral and react in that way, then you are part of the problem. You know True. yourself. You know what True. you've been doing. You're feeling attacked. You're feeling because attacked. Because we are, we're asking you for accountability. Exactly. I'm asking you to take accountability for how you are making my life in this country difficult. How you're making the lives of every girl in this country difficult. And if you watch that poem and you go, oh why is she attacking us you are part of the problem because a normal person who is wanting change listens to that poem and goes geez is that what girls are really really going i was maybe subconsciously and you want to change exactly like you'd be like oh my gosh that I, I, i do that i also just tweet and then i keep quiet is that not what I'm supposed to be doing? And then if you don't know what you are supposed to be doing, you come and you ask, okay, Terry, I, I listened to your poem. What am I supposed to be doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, the, that's the sort of reaction you're supposed to get. So yeah, to answer your question, there, there have been times where I'm like, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm taking on more than I can handle. Mm. But I feel like if I'm not going to do it, who will? 
you know and that's the question I kind of asked myself before I post a poem or before I write or anything it's like okay I'm writing something that's heavy I'm exposing myself to a lot I'm I'm putting myself out there in the most vulnerable and purest way I can and not everyone is going to appreciate that but if I don't do it who will do it who's gonna do it yeah and then I get dms of girls going like wow Terry I cried when I I watched your poem I didn't know what I was feeling until you said what I was feeling thank you yeah you know what I mean and that that Mm. makes me that Mm. makes me happy and that makes me go on to the next one because that that that's who I'm doing it for I'm doing it for for girls and women and people who are affected by the topics I talk about to know that they're not alone that they're not going through something by themselves that I Mm. understand that but more than that more than that I understand but that there are so many other girls who understand we know what you feel like and I think that that's just an important message that needs to be carried on yeah thank you so much first of all on behalf of everyone yeah thank you. i really appreciate the work that you're doing yeah, thank you so much you're welcome i really do thank you so what do you think in your own opinion is the root cause of all these gender-based violence crimes that are going on the raping the domestic abuse the femicides what do you what what do you think is the main cause i really feel like it's just our culture um it's our culture of patriarchy and these years of having put women down for so long that is just now starting to erupt in the most painful and most violent way it can you know um Mm. because especially now that women are now speaking out against it exactly now that there is less submissiveness and more rebellion the ugliness starts to come out you know yeah the ugliness of the system of patriarchy and this perpetuated rape culture starts to show you know and Mm. it's and i think that's that's something that people need to understand is that gender-based violence and sexism and femicide they aren't a 2018 problem when um when cases started to spike you know yeah it's been a problem since the beginning of time when men were the head of the household and women were supposed to just cook and clean that was the starting point but it didn't erupt yet because women didn't know any better you know now that women are starting to learn women are getting educated women are going to school they're reading they're writing they're to a world they never were exposed to before and can now tell Mm. like I don't need to take this from you, you know? And there's more women that they can also look up to and and say, well, she's speaking out about it. And there's more women who are standing Mm. up and saying, listen, you don't need to take this. You don't need to. You don't, you know, that those sort of patterns is now what men are trying to now, you know, squash and literally physically squash, (laughs) you know? I I think another thing would would be the sense of entitlement that men have. Um, especially if we're talking talking in an African context, the entitlement that men have, like, um, my way or the highway, what I say goes, when I say this happens, which also stems from this generational patriarchy that's been going on for so long. 
um, is another thing because now when men are like, when a woman says no, a man's like, you can't say no to me, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a, that's a psychological, that's something psychological that's been ingrained into men for generations. And then passed on from generations to generations. Yeah. So you cannot fix the problem by addressing 2019. You know, you cannot fix it to go away. Exactly. Back. You cannot fix the problem by talking about last week, you know, because mm-hmm. it's not a last week problem. It's been an issue from the beginning. You need to go back to the sources where you were at first discriminating against women. Now start making it equal. Those are education systems, those are, you know, family dynamics, those are social interactions those are the the expectations that you give to men and to women those are how you as people as a society are teaching young girls and women to behave are teaching Mm -hmm. young boys and men to behave that's where you go back to start because saying sorry about last week that's not going to do anything because next week there will be another body yeah because there's been bodies for 2200 years you know so i think that's that's it's a more complex issue than just what is causing gender-based violence because there's a whole lot of things that are causing gender-based violence and gender-based violence i think people need to understand is not the thing itself it's the byproduct of the thing yeah you know and that thing is this probably have experienced it as a kid exactly having grown up in that environment exactly they also fall victim to it or they also become the perpetrator because they think that's the way you treat women and that's how you do and this is how it happens because that's what grandpa did and that's what great grand and this is and that you know what i mean gender-based violence Mm. is not the thing it's the byproduct of a bigger issue. So to stop gender-based sure. violence, you go to the source. What is what is gender-based violence coming out of? That's where you go look. If you are if you are a people who really wants to find solutions and who isn't just doing, and this is what I've said about governments and you know our world leaders. If they were mm. people who really are serious about trying to find solutions to gender-based violence, they would be going back to their institutions, back to their ways of educating people, back to the social dynamics, back to how they're portraying women in media and et cetera, et cetera. Not just to go to women and say, oh my gosh, we're so sorry. Here's 16 days of activism, you know? Yeah. Not to say, oh my gosh, oh, we apologize for what's been going on. We stand with you. And you give us a campaign video and that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, most of these records might be very misleading because most, most of the offenses are not exactly. even reported to they the aren't. police. And that's the scariest part because we're saying there's a scourge in gender-based violence because of how many people are reporting it. But think of the yeah. millions of people who are keeping quiet. All it shows mm. is that there are millions of people who are now speaking out, but there's double that amount who are still keeping quiet. 
True. So you can't be like, oh my gosh, there's 16,000 cases. Because no, not everybody will report it. Because if we're being honest mm. with ourselves, we don't really have systems that support women for reporting. Let alone not even women yeah. that support anyone who experiences gender-based violence. We don't have sensitive systems where you can be a victim and be helped. We only have systems where you'll be a victim and ridiculed and shamed and beaten sure. down more than you already are until you, you're at the point where you're like, you know what? Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. That's true. Because that, that was also going to be my next question. Why do you think people don't report? Because most of the time when we talk about these gender-based violence crimes, people want to come out and say, yeah, but why are you only reporting now? Or I don't know, if you're a man and you've been raped or domestically abused, if you come out just like you're ridiculed and you're made to feel like less of a man. They just aren't, like all they're these aren't safe places for people to report. Yeah. They're unsafe places. And we just aren't a compassionate society. We aren't a society that that wants to love, <laughs> if we're being honest. We're not a society that wants to show love. Not not mm. well not love that takes effort anyway we're we're okay with the hashtagging and the sharing and the reposting but the actual physical stuff it's difficult for us because we want to first find every single reason why she's lying every single reason she was there at night every single reason why she chose that dress why she was in the club I think people alone. don't understand the concept of victim you know, blaming like we find all of those that those things. kind of questions exactly are... they they make a victim go was it me I shouldn't have said you know? anything and they go, maybe exactly. it was me yeah because now we're like why were you there at night why were you walking alone you know better why, why, why were you wearing, wearing that, that? Oh, what, what was he expected to do you were tempting him because you were flaunting it like and you just sit there and you think what messed up kind of society do we live in where a girl walks into a police station and says I was raped and the next question is where were you and what were you wearing like how messed up someone, because if someone yeah. gets shot and they come into a hospital room and they're like someone shot eat the wound you get them into surgery. You, you don't questions later. Yeah. You open a police report. Three weeks later, what happened? Where were you? When you've already got suspects, <laughs> because now you're trying to close a case, then you go and ask them, okay, what happened? What did these people do? But when it's someone who's been raped and sexually assaulted, the, 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 the evidence gathering and the protecting of the person comes after you've established that... It wasn't their yeah. fault. I don't think it's right. And then there's the whole corrupt system where someone can go scot free because of the influence exactly. that and they have. Exactly, someone can just make a DNA report disappear, or even make it not get taken in the first place because half our hospitals don't have working rape kits. We don't have people who collect yeah. proper yeah. evidence in the first place for these crimes. And then on top of that, you have corruption where anyone can just make anything disappear. It is literally the worst environment for someone to go through something like this. And then on top of that, when they when that person becomes brave enough to say, I was wronged, I was hurt, I need to speak out and I need to tell my story. The first thing we do is say, Oh, why are you talking about this now? It's late. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know. It happened exactly. 10 years ago. Why are you, Why are you about deciding now? to come it's out late. now? I it's just it's tragic really. It's it's sad. Yeah. We forget that even maybe even if they're not going to get physical justice on the case coming out may, may just be exactly. a way of healing, healing telling your story and letting go telling your story and having yeah. it's not even about having people comment or having people agree it's about being brave enough to say someone violated me i think people don't understand how deep of a violation a sexual assault is and for mm. someone to stand there and say, I was violated in the most violent, most dehumanizing, most painful way by this man. It takes everything in you, literally. It takes every mm. single ounce of strength and dignity you have left to stand up and say, I was, I was a victim of rape. I was a victim of sexual assault. It happened and I survived. You know, that's a difficult thing to do. And it's not about what you sure. hear from people. It's not about people saying, oh my gosh, girl, we're here for you. It's about the fact that you were brave enough to go out and say it, you know? And I think people don't understand mm. that because that's a form of healing on its own. That's a form of healing on its own. Just being able to get out of your head, get out of those voices in your head, that constantly make you feel worthless to silence yeah. those voices and say listen it happened to me but it's not me you know that mm. that's that's a that's a thing of pure healing and i think people underestimate that and i think if they really understood yeah. how deep and profound that is i think we'd all be a little bit kinder to people who come out and tell their stories True. True. So you recently released your single "Last Goodbye." Do you want to share maybe with us a bit more about it? I'm saying so, yeah. how the journey and experience of penning all that and sharing. Yes, that was actually it was actually was. so crazy. Um, when audition taped to my funeral went viral. Um, I was actually on my way to a holiday in Cape Town, so um, mm-hmm. you know, audition tape to my funeral came out. And we were like traveling and stuff. And I think it was the first night we were in Cape Town. Like I looked at my phone and I had like 600,000 views or something. And I was like, what is going on? Whoa. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like I normally you just know, do my like, small videos. Like, and 600,000. You know? <laughs> I'm like looking. I was like, what? And I had like 18,000 something followers. I was like, what is going on? So, yeah, like, that first night was just surreal. It was just, like, a bunch of freaking out, like, oh, my gosh, wow, this is actually happening. And then the next day, I got a call from um, Dave Peenhill from Sony. And I was eating breakfast, and he, like, he phones, and I answer, and he's like, oh, hi, Terry, this is Dave from Sony. And I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, Dave, sorry, who? And he's like, from Sony. And I was like, like, Sony, Sony. And he's like, yeah, like, Sony Entertainment. And I was like, as in Sony like that Sony <laughs> I'm thinking I'm like maybe there's another Sony I don't know about like, this is the prank and I, I even put like the thingy on speaker and I'm like sitting with my family for breakfast and I'm like are you people hearing this and he's like yeah Sony Sony and I'm like okay hi Dave 
And then he's like, yeah, so I heard your poem on 702. Um, Basitsana Kumalo shared it because I remember um, the, the night before, actually, Basitsana Kumalo had called me, which was also, I was like, what? Yeah, out of this world. <laughs> like, she has my number. Like, what? <laughs> so she had asked if they could, like, um, if she could share it on the Clement show on 702. So I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. Yeah. Um, I'm traveling to Cape Town, so I wouldn't even have, like, reception because we were driving so I was like I wouldn't even have reception and anything um but like you'll let me know how the show goes so I didn't like I wasn't on I wasn't listening when she did the thing when she read my poem so anyway the next day Hmm. Dave's like yeah um you know I heard your poem on 702 and my wife like you know she was in tears and she called me and I was at work and she's like you need to get in contact with this girl and you guys need to do something I was like, okay, so yeah. do something like what? And he's like, I'm thinking we should make a song. And I'm like, like a song with Tony. And he's like, yeah, like a song. Would you be into that? I'm like, um, yes. <laughs> like, no big deal or anything, sure. <laughs> yeah, so then, you know, um, the creative process was just amazing. Um, I got to work with some brilliant people and Linda Lee, who did the vocals, because I really wanted my, I wanted my voice to stay um as part of the poetry aspect of the poem yeah um so finding someone to do the vocals but someone who would still be able to carry the same sort of passion I had in the poem and the song you know it was a bit like you know Mm. trying to find when you're trying to find that perfect Cinderella shoe fit you know you just have to (laughs) go through a bunch of pumpkins before you get to the one but then um yeah we found Linda was just like yes that's it that's the one um, so she did the vocals mm. and it just it was just beautiful. Um, so then yeah, Sony published it and everything and then a couple of days after well, a couple of days after that actually, they then offered me a contract um to, you know, to actually work with Sony for the next three years, um, producing more lyrics for them. So nice. yeah, um I'm currently on the way to working on my EP and um after that an album yes girl so yes you guys can stay tuned for that (laughs) we're looking forward to it i will definitely let you know when it happens (laughs) yes please yes please so um i mean 2020 has been i don't know how to describe it but how would you describe 2020 and how how has it been for you what have been some of your highlights and for you and your studies and your craft. I think 2020 has been a difficult year. It's been such a tough year, yeah. but I think it's also been a year of so much growth. I think because we were all put in such difficult positions where we had no choice but to evolve, you know. Um, so I yeah. think as painful and as difficult and as jarring as it has been, it's also been a year of profound growth, um, especially in my life. I think I've really, I I was made to lose direction in the first half of the year, you know, because everything <laughs> shut down. And I was like, am I going to finish school? Am I going to varsity? Like, what's going on? You know, yeah. and like, it was just this time of uncertainty and like trying to like, you know, realign your plans. Because I think the last year of school is such a, it's such a, it's an already bumpy year because you're thinking yeah up, and, then and then you, you add on more pressure on no more like online exams and online school you can't see anything you can't hear anything it's just like 
I'm actually just gonna fail. Like, I don't know how many times I cried this year. I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not passing. It's not happening. Like, I'm going through it, you know. But then I think also mm. just the ability to survive that and just carry on pushing. And, you know, as problems started arising, we just sort of adjusted and, like, went with what we had, you know, to get to the finish line. I think mm. that's also just built my character. And I'm sure many, um, the characters of many people who went through a similar experience, because I realized that I had a plan when January came, you know, I, in my head, everything from January mm. to December was mapped out. I knew exactly where I wanted to go in 2021. I knew my plans and everything. But then, you know, so many things just came at me. Um, and so many opportunities I never thought would have happened. I mean, when January started, I was not thinking about signing with Sony. <laughs> you know, when January came, yeah. I wasn't even thinking about writing a poem that would go viral. You know what I mean? Um, but then certain mm. things happened that led me in that path. And even though Corona has been painful and difficult to go through, it's also created an environment where my plans have had to adjust, you know, and as much as at first yeah. I was nervous about that. Now I'm really excited because some of the things that are now happening in my life and that I'm looking forward to happening wouldn't have happened if I had stuck to my original plan. So I think True. that it's been a blessing and a curse at the end of the day. Yeah. Awesome stuff. I'm really yeah. excited for you. Like doors are opening yeah. and we're looking forward thank to you the so new much. content. No, so what's your current media diet? What are you listening to? What are you reading? So I just what are you watching? Um, becoming Michelle Obama. Um, that was my last read because mm-hmm. um, I had some time after we finished writing. Uh, and I mean, who doesn't love Michelle? True. Yeah, that was a great book. And then, um, currently, I'm honestly, I'm listening to everything. Um, I think because I have so much free time. I think people don't understand. If anyone listening has gone through Cambridge A levels, you know, like your life. Oh yes, just I understand. Stops. You. Like you do not have a life. Like you have. You just like, have no a gap. life for like two years, and then November comes and it's just like life. <laughs> <laughs> you're like well, what do I even do with all this time you know life like, is just packed now, into like, one little thing January you're just here like oh I don't have like anything to do <laughs> like, what do wow. I do with myself like, okay <laughs> now what so it's just mostly Netflix um I watch Netflix um you know I think which I finished Titans that was the last Netflix show I finished um and yeah I'm just mm. I'm just sort of living life man <laughs> I'm just living life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey. I wish you all the best on your contract, on everything that you're going to be working on. No, and thank you so much. Yeah, I wish you all the best on waiting oh, for yes, your the exams results. too. I, I mean, it I is, mean, it's it nerve-wracking, is. but <laughs> yeah, I'm so, pretty sure you did thank well. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's been thank a you pleasure so much for having, having you on the show. Lovely. Thank you. That was Tari Nyamayaro on her journey with poetry and the fresh journey with music. I hope you guys enjoyed that deep but necessary chat that we just had. The poem at the beginning of the conversation is auditioning for my funeral. And I'm leaving you guys with Last Goodbye by Tari featuring Linda Lizwani. Enjoy, stay blessed, have a lovely remainder of the week from your girl Bean. With the biggest love.
By the time I'm 19, I'll probably be dead or on the way to dying. So I thought it would be important for me to prepare for my funeral. of death, being woman and alive. 